0: You are listening to WHOA Podcast, coming to you from Gainesville, Florida. Florida. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the WHOA GNV Podcast, the podcast for you businesses and individuals that make you go, whoa. Whoa. I am your host, Colin Austin, and my co-host is Michael Dees. What's up, man? (laughs) What's up, man? It's
1: August 24th. I'm going to let you wish a very special happy birthday. It's tomorrow on the 25th. Nope. so August who?
0: 24th is their birthday, oh, is it? man. Yeah. I thought it was the 24th. August 24th. Is there, Eight, I don't two, know if you know four, oh, this. Anyways, James, I don't know if you know this. But my boys, Schaefer and Maddox Austin, they were both born. <laughs> Such a crazy story. They were both born on August 24th, four years apart.
1: Whoa. Yeah. It's cool, right? That is cool. You know what, you know what happens <laughs> during August in the scooter
2: season? Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. Right. No kidding.
0: <laughs> August 24th, everybody who's listening, if you don't know this about me yet, it is actually a really cool story. August 24th, 2009 was the first day of school at the University of Florida. If you want to imagine what one of the busiest days of the year are for like our New Scooters for Less shop here, it's the first day of school. I was like... Peace out, Scooter Shop. <laughs>
1: sorry, <laughs> this is more important. Okay, cool. Like we understand this one-time thing. Like was, hey, we'll yeah, give you, have, we'll give you the free pass this one time.
0: Go have a baby. Go do that, right? So, uh, not me, my right, wife, sorry. of course. Uh, you, you, already did your, you already did your part. <laughs> I did a good job of supporting. Great job, honey. You're doing great. Keep going.
1: And then Four years later,
0: and then, so no kidding. You know, I come, we come back from, we come back from all this, and. You know, my I'm telling my team, I'm like guys, like I'm so sorry. Like I didn't mean to leave like leave you hanging on that one core value too. Like don't leave your team members hanging, uh, you know, didn't mean to leave you hanging on that one. You know, really apologize. It'll never happen again. I uh, like we'll plan better. It will never
1: happen again. Narrator says, only it happened again.
0: Exactly. <laughs> Four years later. Maddox Austin, on August 24th, 2013. Came into this world, and I had to, it was right in the middle of back to school week again, of course, and I had to miss it all. But but hey, you guys, like team did a fantastic job. Yes, I, don't, I don't even know why I'm here, to be honest. <laughs> but no, I wanna wish a very happy birthday to my boys, uh, Schaefer and Matt Austin. Happy birthday. That's right. <laughs> August 24th, man.
1: Future employees, uh, that's for all. <laughs>
0: There you go. And you guys, we gotta thank our incredible, and I mean incredible sponsor, New Scooters for Less. We did it. <laughs> hey, no, podcast fan, we just wanted to inform everybody that scooter sales scooter sales have actually been on the rise, and I don't, I don't think a lot of people have realized this, but across the country, scooter sales have been on the rise because a lot of people, they don't want to be on subways, they don't want to be on buses, they don't want to be surrounded by other people because of COVID-19, of course. And so, you know, a lot, scooter sales, like this is a great way to social distance social yourself. Social distance, you want be to outdoors. Be on your in, own independent transportation, have your scooter, be able to get around. Um, so, you know, we just want to let everybody know, like, like, hey, like we're here, New Scooters for Us is here, we, we're absolutely selling scooters. and In fact, inventory's been kind of interesting. We're kind of like gauging inventory, but, Uh, anybody who's looking to kind of like have your own independent transportation um, like reach out to us reach out to mike directly mike at ns i'm actually doing a lot of the sales stuff right now so call in at ns and we will absolutely take care of you guys a lot of our business audience might not know this but because you uh, i know that there's a lot of assumption that like hey scooters are like for college students right and i think that's because of what we've done in the gainesville community well hey business owners we have scooters for you we are your Vespa dealership. Vespa is one of the greatest scooters ever created. They are beautiful machines, and uh, and we sell them right here at New Scooters for Less. So come get a Vespa from us. We even have some really good deals, closeout specials for 2020, because um, we're moving the last handful of these Vespas that we have. So if you're interested in a scooter, you want to join scooter culture? Now's the time, baby. Right. Now is the time. Maybe we'll get Jim on one going to, back and forth to the rock school on a Vespa, yeah? On a Vesco, yeah? yeah. <laughs> well, sorry, maybe we just like, sucker guests into buying scooters <laughs> when they come, like, I don't know. Uh, but you guys. So hey, many thanks to New Scooters for Less for supporting our show they do believe me (laughs) you guys today on the show we have jim mckenzie headmaster at the rock school a private christian school serving pre-k through grade 12 jim welcome to our show man
2: Thanks, man. It's great to be here.
0: <laughs> yeah, we're excited to have you. Uh, there's so much, you know. It's been. It's just funny, you know. Like, like I don't know if it's funny, but like, like looking at 2020, everything that's really happened with COVID-19 and schools closing and anticipation of school coming up. I'm, I'm really kind of interested to dive into this and steer. You know, we'll we'll definitely dive into some of the business aspects of running a school, but man. I like I I even see Shannon like listening to these like long. I mean I know you guys are private, but like I'm listening to Shannon like my wife listening to these long school board meetings. Right, there's so much conversation of like keeping students safe, keeping teachers safe, and so I'm really kind of psyched to, to, dive, to dive into this. But before we kind of go into some of those questions, uh, I would really love to just kind of dive into your story a little bit. Like yeah. hear how you got to where you are today, why why you're this headmaster at the Rock School and take it from there.
2: Yeah, yeah. So please give us your story. So I, um... I sort of backed into education. Uh, I come from a, a, a long line of uh, educators, my parents, grandparents, so I, I grew up surrounded by educators. And, um, and so when I was in high school, I really wanted to be a band director. I was in band, I loved music, I wanted, wanted to go to FSU, study in the band. What'd you play? The, uh, saxophone, okay. so I was a saxophone player. And, um, and so you know, I had all these grandiose dreams, and then uh, the summer after my sophomore year I got kicked out of band, and so the dream kind of died. <laughs> and So I was like, all right, time to move on to something oh, else. Why would you get kicked out of band. <laughs> <laughs> you know, saxophone
1: player. Uh, well, outside of percussion players are the ones that get kicked off the, uh, the most. Really?
2: That summer, my, my, um, my high school represented Florida in the National Independence Day Parade in Washington, D.C., and so me and my roommates got ourselves in a little bit of trouble at the hotel and on the bus and stuff, and we got tossed, so... <laughs> True band like, life. You're you saying you that's the
0: band it. life I remember too. <laughs> right. So I don't know if you know, like, so you play. Mike played saxophone oh. played and percussion for a very
1: long time. Percussion, yeah. Nice.
0: And and I played trumpet. Okay. Here I get like you up. man. Yeah. Yeah. And I played. You know, my high school was super competitive. Uh, San Antonio Ronald Reagan High School out there was super competitive. Uh, yeah. So I'm, we're very familiar okay. with that world.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, yeah. So that 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 dream sort of died. So then I was like, oh, you know, maybe I'll maybe I'll do education, and and everybody around me was like, no, like there's no money in it. Don't go into education. <laughs> like you're good at math and science. Like be an engineer. And so I was like, oh, okay, that sounds cool. I'll, I'll be an engineer. And so when I when I graduated from high school, I went to Florida Tech down in Melbourne, and I was an electrical and computer engineering major and uh, loved it and so my, my dream then was like, I'm gonna be an, a Disney Imagineer, right? I'm gonna be one of those engineers that works at Disney and does the creative and the technical and creates these cool rides and you know experiences and stuff and so I was like, this is what I'm gonna do. Well, my first semester there, I start volunteering at an elementary school across the street and I fall in love with it. And and when I'm not doing my classes, I'm literally next door at this school volunteering all the time. And so I came home during Christmas break that my freshman year, and I just remember sitting in my room and I was crying. I was like, I don't want to be an engineer. I want to be a (laughs) teacher. You know, my parents were like, fine. You know, so I withdrew from Florida Tech. I moved back home. Um, I spent the next couple years um, just finishing up my Uh, associate's degree at Central Florida Community College in Ocala Um, and then I came to Gainesville to study education, uh, the funny thing is e- even when I decided oh, I'm gonna be a teacher and I moved back home, then I when I had to sort of pick what I wanted to study, I was like, I'm gonna do environmental science. I really wanna change the world, you know, <laughs> and so, and so um, this was uh, back in the early 90s, so I applied to UF and USF, but I really wanted to go to USF. I, I applied to UF as a backup, right? So this is in the 90s when UF could be like your backup, right, <laughs> nobody, <laughs> picks, nobody picks UF as like my backup, uh, and so literally, uh, Literally, um, I had planned. I had planned all summer. I'm going to go to USF, and on the morning that classes started, I woke up and I was like, "You know, I think I'm going go to go Gainesville." And so I drove to Gainesville. Uh, I wasn't registered for any classes. I went from like class to cl- I went from like department to department to department to stand in a drop ad line to try to get a schedule. I slept on the couch at a friend's house for like a week so I could find an apartment. Uh, but anyway, I finally ended up studying education at UF as an elementary ed major, and then I did a year uh, master's program in instruction and curriculum. And so uh, when I did my internship, I interned at Duval Elementary uh, here in East Gainesville studied under Dr. McNeely, who is, uh, was my principal then. She's a board member now. And, uh, I loved it. Uh, I went to her at the end of the, um, at the end of my internship, and I gave her my resume, and I said, uh, "You're the only principal that's getting my resume. If you don't hire me, I'm not going to have a job uh, in the fall." And so, thankfully, she hired me, um, and I taught fifth grade, and I was there for a couple years, and it was a really great uh, it was a really great experience because um, it, for those who aren't familiar with Duval Elementary at the time, it was a really low performing, low income school about ninety percent. Um, um, Low-income families, predominantly free and reduced lunch, Title I kind of school, and at the time it was one—it was a failing school. That's what they were calling schools back then. And there was this new assessment that came out called the Florida Rights. And uh, the first year that I was there, our writing scores were, you know, like one of the lowest in Alachua County. And so we started doing all these things, kind of rallied as a school. And by the second year, we were our scores were average in Alachua County. And by the third year, we had the highest scores in the state of Florida. And the Commissioner of Education comes, and there's this big pep rally, and there's all this attention. And so. Um, it really was uh, just this amazing experience to see like what can happen when you can get when a school community really comes together um, and rallies around school improvement that it's possible instead in spite of all the obstacles and so uh, so I was there for um, about three and a half years, and uh, really honestly thought I'd I'd be in public education my whole life. I mean, I gotta be completely honest. Like, I didn't know what a Christian school was growing up. I mean, I was a public school kid through and through, public university, and like, I mean, I don't. I think I was an adult before I was like, wait, there's there's other kinds of schools. <laughs> and I was like, what's a Christian school? Is that like Sunday school? Um, and uh, but I, I sort of I ended up landing at the at the Rock. Um, and helping out with volleyball, and that's kind of what introduced me to the the school. And then they had a position kind of come open in the middle of the year, and uh, and so I just I don't know I just felt like God stirring something in me that it was time for a change. And so I just I mean I took a huge pay cut. I, I sort of gave up, you know, uh, what I think would have been a, a pretty quickly advancing career within the school district, and uh, and sort of gave it all up and and went to the Rock School. And What year uh, was that? That was in 1999. Okay. Um, and so I. Uh, I taught high school English for three years and then I moved into assistant principal and then served as principal under the founding um, head of school for 10 years. And then when he retired, after 20 years, I stepped into the role of headmaster and so I'm about to start my ninth year in that role. So so 25 years in education, three years in public education, 22 at the Rock School um, and 20, 21 of those in, in leadership. So, yeah. As a headmaster or like? 9 when did, 9 when years did that happen? 9 years ago. So I've been the nine head years. of school for okay. 9 years. I was principal for the 10 years prior to that. Okay, so you said like you took a huge pay cut. Yeah. Like
0: I mean, educate me a little bit because like when I when I think of it, like private school, I'm like people are paying tuition. Yeah. Right? Like <laughs> I almost like feel like it would be the, yeah. I feel like it would be different. I feel like it would actually be more money for, yeah. for the teacher. Like why was it a pay cut?
2: Yeah, so uh, there's the perception of private education, and then there's the reality for 90% of private schools. So there are really expensive private schools where everybody is paid really well. The average private school operates on 70% of the funding of a public school. Uh, so for example, at our school, um, our teachers make about 75 to 78% of the Alachua County uh, public school teachers. Um, so they work for less. Uh, the trade-off is that people um, there's some things that you get to do at our school and don't get to, they don't have to do at our school that you know that um, sort of compensates that uh, makes it worthwhile for a lot of people. Give us an example. Yeah, there's a, um, um, you know, one of the things that I like about a private school is. Um, is there's a sense of autonomy, right? Like, we we get to decide what kind of school we wanna be and how we're gonna do it, and um, change can happen at whatever speed we say, right? So there's not some outside entity that's telling us what we have to do and how we have to do it. Um, it's more, now there's-
0: It's more entrepreneurial. It's
2: more entrepreneurial. But there's accountability just like for you, right? If you don't deliver something, you know, if a business doesn't deliver a service people want, they stop coming and then you have no income and you shutter the doors, right? So it's this, I have the same kind of accountability. I have great accountability, because if I blow it, or I don't do something well. My parents take their tuition dollars and they go somewhere else, and we close up shop and go find something else to do. So, so there's a there is definitely accountability, but there's a lot more autonomy. So uh, there's a standards and stuff that obviously we're held to educationally by the state and universities and things like that. But. Um, we don't have to do all the standardized testing that the state of Florida does. We have a different testing model that we use. So a lot of teachers like that they don't have to teach to a test for half the year. Um, there's not a lot of the uh, sort of bureaucratic stuff like you know things we have to do all these things to justify what you're doing and dot all your eyes and cross all your t's. Like our teachers are given a lot more freedom um, to to teach within the context of what we've asked them to teach. Um, that we don't offer we don't require teachers to do as many um, Outside of the classroom things, like super, supervisory things, um, a full-time teacher at our school teaches fewer classes than a full-time teacher in a Letcher County public school. So, uh, so there's definitely some trade-offs. Um, you know, having worked in a public school system, and, and I enjoyed my experience, and, and I'm not one of these that's anti-public school or like their competitors. Like, you know, we, I, you know, I think educators should all work together, public, private, charter, you know, for the betterment of a community and all the kids that we serve. So uh, so I don't, none of this is intended as criticism. I'm just trying to highlight, uh, you know, some differences between uh, the way our school operates maybe in the way the public schools operate. But my experience in the public school system is very, it was very stressful. Um, sometimes it's the demands of parents, sometimes it's the demands of administrators, and um, a lot of that we're able to control at a different level at our school. So um, it generally, teachers that leave the public school system and come to our school um, find it to be kind of a breath of fresh air. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, so
1: I, I also have no, no experience. Like I, I mean, I went to a Christian school for kindergarten and that was it. And then I was public schooled for the rest of it. So I don't really have much experience outside of the public school system. But one thing that I think we've kind of highlighted a lot on this podcast and talked to with team members and stuff like that is, is a real um, lack of, I'll try to be somewhat PC while I'm formulating this. but like a real lack of training in the public school system like students to know those life Lessons outside of passing a standardized test, like you said, like when you're talking about how to do your taxes or, or fi- finance in general, or things yeah. thi- things that you know will will educate you to be an adult in this world. That they more or less graduate out of a public school system not knowing how to do. Do you have that kind of autonomy in the in the private sector to be able to teach those things? And is that something that you do?
2: Yeah, it's a great question. Um, so. Um, I think one of the great challenges of education in general, especially public education because it's so large, is there's really not even consensus about why it exists and what what the outcomes really are supposed to be. Like when um, Gallup polls parents and says, you know, what do you, what's the goal of public education? About half say it's for... Um, Good citizenship, right? Create people who are going to help contribute to the common good. Uh, The other half say it's to um, help my child advance for a college career in life, right? So those are two very different things. One is sort of like communal towards citizenship. The other is very selfish towards sort of self promotion and you know and achieving certain things. So so when people can't really even agree on like what the what the overarching goal of public education is, it's really hard to then nail down like what specifically should we be doing in our school system for that end. you know, I, not a plug, but I did a TED Talk here in Gainesville about 18 months ago on this idea of education for the future, and it really addresses the, what you're asking in this question, and like, where what, are, what should we really be teaching in the 21st century, right? Because if I ask you to, if I said, you know, hey, tell me the first five presidents of the United States in order, like, some of the listeners are probably like, oh I, I know those right because they're just history buffs or Jeopardy champions or something like that. But Jeopardy champions, <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> right, nailed it. like, I nailed it. it. I got it. Yeah. I got it. Most people, if I, but if I said hey you know you can have sixty seconds to find the answer right everybody can find the answer to that question. You pull out your phone, you're like hey Siri who's the first five presidents or you Google it or whatever. So you know so what's the real skill in the twenty first century? Is it knowing is it memorizing the the presidents in order or is it knowing, knowing how, to, how find to find the answer, answer to the question sure. right? Mm-hmm. So So historically we have said academics is number one and Uh, Character would be number two, and skills would be number three. That would be sort of the priority. Like content knowledge is really king, then sort of like good character, and then skills is sort of seen as like the lesser level. Well, in the 21st century, all the research, all the writing says that the order has shifted. It's it's not content knowledge, but it's character, skills, and then academics. So what, what prepares students for success in college and career is more of their character and the skills that they develop, and less about the content knowledge, or what we would call like good academic academics, um, that's least important, and yet schools are still doing exactly the opposite. Like, I'm gonna fill your head with lots of information. Uh, What we're trying to do is to turn that around and say how do we help kids develop the skills and the character to be successful in college, career, and life, Uh, and so, in fact, research actually says that conscientiousness, uh, which would be character, and then creativity would be the most important skill. Conscientiousness and creativity are actually the best predictors of college success, more so than your high school GPA or your SAT or ACT score, right? So what we want is we want we want to produce students that are really conscientious, right? So they have grit, they have resiliency, they have humility, right? They have self-control, they have emotional regulation, they have these kinds of skills. Um, and then kids that are, are have creativity, right, and openness for learning learning, a passion for learning, sort of those lifelong learners, Um, those two skills are really what propel people towards success in college, career, and life. Um, And yet our school system just doesn't change, right? I mean, most industries pivot with innovation, right? There's something disruptive and it's like, bam, like everything changes. Education has, they haven't, the last time education was influenced by a major disruption was the printing press, like hundreds of years ago, right? We've had all these other, television came along and that didn't impact education, the internet came along, right? Personal uh, handheld media came along. None of these things have influenced education at all. Uh, one author that I really like to read kind of on this topic says, you know, we're asking students to run a Google race in a Gutenberg-bound buggy, mm-hmm. right? Like just, ed, just what we're delivering in education today is so obsolete compared to the world in which kids live and yet what politicians and leaders keep saying is like, you know, we need to to, we need to reform education. We need to reform education, and I'm arguing we don't, education doesn't need to be reformed. It needs to be reimagined, right? It's not that we're trying to do things a little better. We need to start trying to figure out how to do better things. That's really the key, uh, and so that's that's the work that we're trying to do at our school. And because we're an independent school, we can move at the speed of change, but, which doesn't mean we're the exemplar and we have all the answers. Because I still have to bring all of my staff along and all their philosophies and ideology about education, all their experience. So, um, but those are the Kinds of things that we're working for, like how do we create kids that are going to be prepared for success in the 21st century?
1: Is society better off if there's a unified approach?
2: I don't. So I, I don't think so. Like I'm not. A, I, I don't like national standards and, and national. I don't love like that. There's a federal involvement. I really think education should be done at the local level. I think each community needs to decide what's best for its students and what do they want for their kids? And I think the more that government has kind of encroached on education, it's created more and more of a bureaucracy and it's becoming less and less effective and efficient. I would love to see education done solely at the local level, but mm-hmm. everything gets tied to federal dollars and so mm-hmm. people do what the federal government says they're supposed to do. And so we end up with things like no child left behind and you know, and every other presidential thing and none of them none of them have produced any lasting impact. We have spent, we're spending 300% more money uh, on education and we're doing it with twice as many staff over the last 40 years and we haven't moved the needle on math reading or science test scores. So the answer is not more money and it's not more staff. It's fundamentally changing education. So what, I mean, that's the
1: hurdle, how do you how do you improve it like i mean you 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 always hear these things and i don't have the data or anything but like how far we lag behind as a developed nation compared to you know the the asian countries and stuff like that in term, especially in, in the stem aspects how do we how do we compete like what 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 needs to happen in your estimation like what needs to happen <laughs> i know that's a, a crazy but like how do we how do we get back to where we're on the same level? Fix the entire system in this Fixing episode, the, please. Yeah. Let's go, Jim. Right. Right. I mean, that's how my mindset's been all day today. Okay. How, can I, how can I take a like decades worth of problems and fix it today? Yeah, yeah I mean, listen, like you were talking about uh,
0: Disney Imagineering, right. and so like, well, you're doing it in education, right? You're right.
1: reengineering right. education. Yes. So,
0: like, Sorry. let's get all the answers today on this episode. Yes.
2: Yes. 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 Right now, we're just trying to figure out how do we fix our schools so we can open in the midst of COVID. Right. (laughs) Right. Which I'm really excited to kind of get into that too, but. Uh, But yeah, I mean like, so I think it's a couple of things. First of all, um, I believe educational reform has to be a grassroots movement. I, I do not think it'll ever happen top down. I don't think there's anything any president or elected official is going to be able to mandate from the national or state level and press down that's gonna create any kind of significant change. We haven't, that hasn't worked in a decade. Uh, multiple decades. Um, I think it needs to be a grassroots level. There are exemplars all over our country of schools that are doing amazing things, producing amazing results, and, and not just doing it with the best of the best, but they're doing it with some of the most difficult and challenged students, right? And some of the toughest neighborhoods and some of the hardest communities in our country. They're doing it, there's exemplars. So there, there's a model that already exists. Um, it's just that uh, we're convinced that it can't happen. Um, and, I think, and I think for, a, a big part of it is this, is there are still, the, the majority of parents still believe that if you just go to school, you work hard, you learn what you're taught, and you do good on the SAT or the ACT, and you make a good GPA, you'll get into a good college. If you get into a good college, then you'll have a promising career, and that's gonna lead to ha- happiness in life. <laughs> and as long as the majority of parents still believe that pathway is true, and that pathway was true for 100 years, it's just not true anymore. There are more and more college graduates that are graduating and they're unemployed or underemployed. In fact, over half of recent college, this is before the pandemic, more than half of recent college graduates are unemployed or underemployed. So they're either out of work or they're doing a job they could have done with a high school diploma. With thousands of dollars of with student With thousands loans. of dollars in student loan debts. And so at some point, I think there's gonna come a tipping point where people enough people are gonna say like, like, dude, this pathway that I've been promised—it's not—it didn't work for my kid. Like, he's 30 years old, he's unemployed, he's got a thousand thousands of dollars in debt, and he's living in my home. Like, what's the deal? And I—but I think until there's enough outrage from parents um, to sort of create this grassroots swell, I think the majority of people are like—they everybody knows it's a game. High school kids know it's a game. Like, it, I don't—I'm not really here to learn. Just tell me what I got to do to get an A. Just tell me what I got to do to to punch my ticket to get into the college I want to go to. I'll, I'll do the learning in college. But then they get to college and they're like, ah, I just what I got to do to get my college degree? I'll, I'll do the real learning on the job, right?" And so then they graduate, and then employers are like, "Nobody, nobody's qualified to do the work I need them to do." Um, so I think that's really the key. I think I think part of I think it all will be this grassroots movement that will start when parents and students become aware of the fact that the current system is broken
1: so, yeah, how, how do you, I mean, does it have to, it have to age out? Again, I mean, we need to know how to yeah, fix I mean, it. I I'm just like, is it something that uh, we just have to age, like, millennials are gonna have to raise kids and say, hey, like, this didn't work for me. Like, is that what we're looking at? Uh, it's not uh, gonna happen in, in, you know, our parents' lifetime lifetimes, like,
2: I, you know, I I don't know. Um, I I tend to be very hopeful and optimistic, so uh, I I, try, I tend to believe that um, really anything's possible and that things can happen sooner. Um, uh, these are questions I, with all of our
1: systemic yeah, issues. We right. have a systemic education problem, right. just like we have yeah. systemic racism problem and all that other yeah. kind of stuff.
2: Right, and I don't, and I, you know, I don't want to jump into the, I don't want to jump into the political. Sure, or, sure know, yeah, no, I know uh, I, But there are definitely like political factors that, um, that are resistant to change. Um, right, so I mean, you think about it. You have how many millions of teachers um, that are teaching all across the U.S. that were, you know, educated in a in a college of education. 20 plus years ago and they learned a certain way, right? Mm -hmm. How many of them are going to, in the latter half of their career, say, oh, I'm willing to totally give up everything I've ever done and thought about education and do it totally different. Right so you've got you got this whole you know it's it's just scale. That's why I that's why I love the work that I get to do at my school because um, the things that we ideate like we can do on our scale with 500 kids, right? I I'm totally sympathetic to Karen Clark and the school board leadership right now who is trying to figure out how to manage, you know, I'm trying to figure out how to manage my school and I have one campus with 500 kids, right? They have to scale a COVID plan right. on a massive scale. I mean that's Really, really hard to do,
0: um, you know. And and, and I really want to d- go down that route in a minute. So, but you know, even one of the things that I've seen commonly throughout um, throughout education is, you know, it, you're you're taught like not to fail, right? Right? It's like do you don't want to get an F, right? <laughs> right? It's like you got to get an A, you got to do better. Like it's like, but like the truth, like everything that I've learned has like legit happened after college running this business and failing multiple times <laughs> and like really you know that's been the seed to you know what will I hope will one day be the success right like right. I don't consider myself successful right now and no but I'm also understanding a lot of people would perser- perceive me as being successful which is great um I I just know that I like I've learned so much from all of the failures yet yeah, we're just you know the education system is really the opposite of that right. it's really don't fail
2: right right <laughs> which is contrary to everything that we know about innovation right innovation is like fail fail fast fail forward um, right and but yet we don't encourage risk taking in, in students in school. We don't say like, put yourself out there and try it, you know, because we grade everything, right? right. Like, that, that's ridiculous. Like, you know, I don't, when I'm working on a project, like nobody grades the first draft. Like I, it's constant work, Oh, that's you know, feedback and constant work, revision. Like that's the normal process um, and we just don't see, schools just aren't, they're just not there yet. Like, and you just, it, teachers overwhelm me. I, I Even teachers in my school, like we just feel this need, like we have to grade everything. Like we have to put a grade on everything. Everything has to be a set um but everything should receive feedback but it doesn't mean that everything has to be uh it doesn't mean everything has to be graded but yeah i think we i think we basically make kids afraid to take risks and and we teach them that failure is is a bad thing um, yeah. and i think that's really contrary to everything that we know about what what it takes to be successful in the in this the, the future
0: and i like where you're going with the financial literacy part you know <laughs> you know, one of the things that Shannon and I have been super intentional about doing right now is like, as we're trying to pay off this debt, really involving our children, mm-hmm. making them understand, you know, like, and talking about it. They're listening to the Dave Ramsey podcast when we're driving in smart the car. Money, and they're, smart kids. You know, They're asking the questions, and I, and I love that. Like, I love hearing them ask those questions and really having those conversations. And, you know, because I want to coach them, like, don't pull student loans. Like when you yeah. when you go to call, like let's figure out a way to like pay. And you know, of course, Shannon and I are actively saving for their college. Uh, but still, like just involving them in those conversations at a really young age.
2: And uh, I don't know. It's. Yeah. I mean, that's uh, that's that's what motivates students, right? Real real world work, real world problems. Um, you know, that, that's what, that's, you know, we hear so much about like, oh, kids that aren't motivated or they're not engaged. That's because again, like we're not doing any of the things necessary to increase the student engagement, right? How do we get kids to engage so they want to learn? So they, you know, they want to be a part. And one of the ways that you do that is you give them something that they care about, right? We're all, we're motivated when we care about something. And very few of us do a job when we feel no connection to the person that we're doing it with or the place we're doing it or the content that we're doing it. And yet that's what we fill schools with all day long.
0: Yeah. But that's, you know, it's hard as a parent. Like what like thinking through what you just said, I'm like, okay, so many parents know what they know. Right? Like for me, like I know I know business. I know entrepreneurship. So like I really like I crave for my kids to want to come and hang out at the dealership and like spend time here. They're not interested <laughs> like my kids are like athletes uh-huh. they're like they're like they'll be a you know my son Schaefer he'll more likely be a professional soccer player than he'll ever be a professional business person. Uh-huh. you know what I mean like yeah. he's naturally gifted in that. Uh, but you know as parents like I think a lot of times they the tendency is because this is what I know I'm pulling my kids I'm right. pulling my kids this direction instead of recognizing their gifts and their talents and saying okay like let's you know if this is something that you want to achieve like let's talk about how you're gonna get there what kind right. of you know what are the disciplines what is the hard work what's right. what's necessary in order to accomplish these goals
2: um,
0: right I don't but know is,
2: the the uh, schools are built on conformity uh, and standardization right so schools right. say like standard every kid every kid needs to learn how to work in a scooter shop Right? It, it doesn't say, like, if that's his drive, he goes there. If, if this one's passionate, I agree. Soccer, we could really use some mechanics right now, too. Goes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> goes there. yeah. Hey, man, there's the trades. So, yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. Trades is uh, an opportunity uh, that is uh, a lot of people are missing out on. There's yeah. there's uh, not everybody has to go to college. There's money to be made in the trades. Yeah. So sorry to, mean to
0: interrupt so, you. I was okay. just like, yeah, 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 like, Yeah, you're yeah. throwing that out there.
2: like But, um, but that's what that's what schools generally do. That's what the education system does in general, right? Is it it's it says like everybody needs to learn this, everybody needs to learn that, as opposed to oh, this is your passion, that's your passion. Like this is what moves, this is what moves you, this is what excites you. Um, and there's ways to do that. Um, and, and you, cause you can, you know, like at our school, people are like, well, so what do you, like, you know, do you teach what everybody else, yeah, like we teach chemistry, we teach math, you know, but but if you can develop a way for them, students to learn those things in the context of something that they care about, a project they're committed to, something that they're doing, that's what, um, that's what drives student engagement. Uh, it's when you're just like, hey, we gotta do these five word problems, cause we think this is a really important math skill that you're gonna need to, to know to, do well in the SAT, and so just you know, do five of these, and we'll go on to the next chapter. And when and then we wonder why kids are, are bored and checked yeah. out.
1: Yeah. No, for sure. So take us back. I mean, you, you talk about when you you had the the cup of coffee with the public school system, and you inherited this this school that was not achieving the results that they you know in the to rights, and you got fast results in a couple of years and became an overperformer. It has to be a comprehensive effort between faculty, between parents, between students. How did, how did you get that to happen?
2: Yeah, we had great principal leadership. Uh, Dr. Leonina McNeely was the principal at the time, and uh, she was amazing. Um, and she brought the right teachers in. She moved the ra- the wrong teachers out. Um, she cast a really clear vision and had a way to motivate staff and paint a picture for what success could look like. Um, rallied students and parents. Um, she had worked at that school in the past. She had roots within that community, and so she was she had credibility with parents. And and so um, she it was like she just. She willed our school to do it. Um, but it took extra resources. Uh, our school day was extended. It, it was hard. And, and the question really became for me was um, like, this was really rewarding, but this was really exhausting. And like, this does not feel like a sustainable model. Um, one of the, you know, I, I've said in the past, like, one of the reasons I I've ended up leaving public education is. Um, I'm very, um, I'm very hopeful and optimistic and like idealistic, you know, and I just felt like um, what I was, even though I loved what I was doing in the classroom, the more I became aware of how the system worked, the more I felt like I was beating my head against the wall. And I just felt like, you know, one of these days I'm going to knock myself unconscious. And so um, I left not so much for, because of the school system, but I left for my own personal well-being. Um, now I've come to realize, like, there's an entrepreneurial spirit within me. Like, I I like that. I, I like being my own boss. And you know, when when organizations like, we were part of the Florida High School Athletic Association at one time, and they kind of tried to push this around. So we're like, peace out. You know, we just like we're out. We're leaving. You know, and we're gonna run our athletic program the way we want to. And and uh, you know, we did the same thing with you know some other programs that we were a part of. So um, so I you know I do like that. But but the what we did there like was great. But it was like whoop. And then it was it, like we couldn't sustain it. It we, the so it didn't, didn't stay there. So it didn't. After
0: you left, like did
2: no, it, it, to... it changed. I won't say like it, it. I wouldn't say it collapsed, and it certainly wasn't just because I left. Um, but it, the school it got to a certain level of success, and then it tried to pivot to something different. Because I think everybody realized like, man, we just can't do this. So they tried to go. They tried to make the school a magnet program and draw students through mm-hmm. um, the arts and use the arts as a way to um, kind of elevate instruction. And it did that for a while, but. Demographics on the east side, declining population, they ended up Duval ended up closing uh, as an elementary school and, and converting into a, like an early childhood center. Or so, um, so over, maybe over I time, wasn't
1: maybe I wasn't understanding that the right way. And and, and correct me if I'm wrong. Right, so it wasn't so much like you 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 took a group of students that were not hitting these scores and taught them how to be better writers or anything like that. It was more about the school becoming.
2: Uh, no, it was very tactical. Like we we taught students how to do really well on that test, you know. Okay. And so that was the other thing I wrestled with: is like, have we really improved the quality of education, or did we just create Hack a really good test prep situation? Right? Are we just a really good Kaplan that just taught kids how to beat a test, uh, or we really taught them how to be quality writers?
0: Well, that goes back to perception, right? Yeah, because then everybody's like looking. He, the schools are graded. Right, yeah. they get like A school, B school, and funded So it's like, oh, like if I can like get this, my students or to nail this test, and it's very tactical, like you said. and they get that that rating, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it's 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 at that point, is it really about the education or about the the perception of the education? Yeah. I don't, a lot of a lot of interesting things there for sure. I I really can we can we shift a little bit? Yeah. Like I really want to yeah, dive because we're course. running out of time, and like I really want to dive into this COVID stuff sure. because I mean obviously this thing is just like just rocked twenty twenty. Um, it's rocked our business for sure. I know it's rocked so much of our audience out there. Um, but man, from a school standpoint, like I I just want to know what are you guys doing <laughs>
2: like what
0: are, what are you guys doing? so when you when you guys open up for the semester
2: or, uh so we will open on august 12th august 12th so you're ahead of the
0: curve like in terms of i mean in terms of yeah. opening because the school alachua county is yep. opening on the 24th, 24th. from what we understand there's yep. talks about it being today the day uh, that yeah repeat. as of today okay yep. the day that this is releasing is the first day of school um there's talks about that being extended at the moment, but, but who knows, it's in, end of August, we'll say, uh, and you guys are ahead of that, so.
2: Yeah, we are, so uh, So normally Alachua County would have started school on the 10th, and we would have started on the 12th, so what's really changed is we've just stuck to our original start date. Electra County has pushed two weeks back, um, primarily just to give themselves more time to plan, prepare, uh, bring teachers in for an extra week for onboarding. Um, we didn't push our date back because we didn't feel like we needed the extra time to get ready or to prep our staff. Um, and so uh, as of, you know, at least right now, our plan is still to it's, uh, open um, on the 12th. Uh,
0: Are you guys even like l- concerned with what the Alachua County Public School, like or do you even look at it as like a gauge or is it just kind of like you're completely doing your own thing and you have no concern with it whatsoever?
2: Yeah, uh, I mean we, we pay attention because it's a, it's a good indicator of uh, kind of where the community's at, um, we look at what electric county schools are doing. We, we also look at all the feedback that they're getting from the community because that helps us kind of understand um, where our community is in terms of schools reopening, what their concerns are. Um, but again, I they have, what they're trying to do is on such a larger scale and they have they have other, um, they have other things like bus transportation. They have other things they have to work through. Uh, they have things like teachers unions. So it's a much more complex process sure. to create an opening plan. So what they do doesn't really help as much. Um, the other thing it's Unique for us is, you know, we're we're a tuition driven school, right? So we're like every other business, like we're trying to hold on to customers and keep people in our school. And uh, because if you know, if we've got you know 500 kids in our school, if 50 of them or 100 of them are like, yeah, we're just we're not doing this, we're out, and you know, they're like we're going to homeschool or do something else, like. That would, that's a huge that would, Yeah, be huge. I, it would be huge. It would be, we'd be laying people off. We'd be scrambling to, you know, uh, um, figure out our, you know, balance a budget that works. You know, so, um, so we're sort of walking this, you know, tightrope of. Um, you know, I told our, we had a town hall meeting on Monday night on Zoom for all of our families to kind of lay out our plan. And I said, you know, there's this spectrum. And I was, you know, kind of joking. I said, you know, there's these two emojis. There's the one that's like, oh, you know, I'm like, <laughs> I'm totally scared. And then the other one's like eye roll, right? More people die of the flu, right? And so I was like, there's kind of these two wide spectrums. I'm like, we're here, like we're in the middle, right? That's where our school, that's where our school is. That's where we feel like we can serve the most. That's like
0: the emoji with just like the straight
2: face. We did the care, the, the hugging, the, right, okay. the face looks okay. like we're just here to hug you right in the middle, right? So we care, we care. Uh, um, and so because um, so that's like kind of where those emojis on top of that.
0: While we're doing that on the video version, where,
2: so th- so that's where we've that's where we've kind of landed. And so you know, we've said, hey, listen, we know for some of you, like what we've done is not enough, and we know for others of you, like you're like we're doing way too much, right? But we we tried to pick a lane that we felt like would encompass the most number of people. Um, and then we've really just tried to create a plan that we feel like works for our school and our community. Um, and, but again, like the challenge with COVID is uh, there's no consensus. Like no, nobody agrees. Like we can't agree. Like masks are good. No masks are bad. Right? Masks work. No, they don't work. You know, children should wear them. Children should absolutely not wear them. We should open. We should not open. You know, it's very deadly. It's not as bad. It's overblown. Right? And so there's no consensus. Uh, even like within the medical community, like you can find a doctor who will agree with whatever position that you want to take. And so, um, you know, so I normally like I spend my summers like studying like leadership, and, like educational <laughs> topics and things. Like all I, I feel like I'm back in college. I'm like I'm. Gonna a biology class. I'm, oh, no. I'm, learning, you know, I'm learning about RNA shedding and you know and oh, the coronavirus no. and uh, all these things in order to uh, formulate a plan. I'm like I like I, the University of Florida did not prepare me in my college of education you know time for like how to prepare a private school for a pandemic, uh, right? So this is that like yeah. learn Businesses it, fail, <laughs> like, you know figure it out, take some chance, you know see what happens. Like so, what are the decisions?
0: What are the decisions? Like are you guys so, is, is it school in, is school in session? Everybody's in. the yeah
2: classroom everybody's are you, so are we you wearing are, masks now like, yeah you so um so we we outlined four levels of restrictions uh we call it green yellow orange and red so green would basically be like pre pandemic conditions like life before the pandemic right sort of normal things like schools operational normal schedules athletics everything's in play uh large group gatherings are fine yellow is we've got some restrictions uh so we're wearing masks students staff are wearing masks uh we're not doing large group gatherings so where we would have like 500 people in the auditorium for chapel we're not doing that we'll we'll they'll Watch it in their classroom. Uh, we closed our lunchroom. Kids will eat in their classroom, right? So, w- rather than um, social distancing and like saying, "Well, we're only going to put like five kids into class. We're going to put up plexiglass. We're going to spread everybody out." And uh, at that point, for us as a private school, like nobody's going to pay for that, right? If you're if you're going to go to like this sterile environment where everybody's spread out and you can't interact and like everybody's like behind plexiglasses of like they're just going to go somewhere else, right? So we had to create a solution that still feels like school, normal school, as much as possible, but also protects the safety and wellness of our students and staff. So, um, so we've gone more with uh, we 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 basically we called it our three C. Um, our, our 3C uh, game plan. So it's it's coverings, so masks. Uh, it's cleanliness, so hand washing, sanitizer, lots of that at all, uh, all increments throughout the day. Uh, really excessive cleaning uh, after hours. And then the third C is cohort. So we're using like a cohort model. So we're basically trying to keep the same group of kids together all day to minimize spread. Mm. Uh, we've had a medical advisory team that's sort of helped us write algorithms for like if you have a positive case. You know what do you do if it's a teacher if it's a student symptomatic asymptomatic infectious not infectious right if it happened within 24 hours if it's like a week later like all these different scenarios have been written out to help sort of guide like what's going to happen because you know we had to say to our families on Monday night it's not if someone in our school is positive with COVID it's when like mm-hmm. you like you have to embrace the fact that like it's going to happen and right. so you have to prepare yourself and if that's too overwhelming to you like ah then then you then you need to homeschool or you need to do virtual school because um, there is some. There is some inherent risk in sending your kids to school, but what we know is that if everybody wears a if teachers wear a mask and students wear a mask, uh, you know transmission risk is really 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 low. Um, And so we feel like we have a plan that safeguards kids but still provides them an enriching educational experience. So, you know, and then we've had to create procedures for how kids move in the hallway and how they get picked up and dropped off and you know, all these sort of things. But but the goal basically is those three things like cleanliness, cohort model, and face coverings.
1: How has your budget had to absorb some of these costs, (laughs) right? Like you're, you're talking about sanitization and all that kind of stuff, like you're already working on a On a specific budget, anyway.
2: Yeah, yeah, we've had to allocate a lot of resources. Um, We've had to buy, um, we've had to buy, you know, upgrades to different kinds of cleaning technology, um, electrostatic sprayers, and things like that. Uh, We had, we had we were concerned enough about air quality a few years ago that we put um, like a air filtration system in our campus. Uh, so that part we had done thankfully. Um, but yeah, like one of the big expenses is, um, so we, we've put technology in our classrooms, basically like basically looks like a large screen TV, um, but it's a Zoom integrated uh, interactive board that has a 4K camera with 120 degree lens and 16 microphones. And so what it allows a teacher to do is push a button and you've opened a Zoom room and any kid that can't be at school at home on Zoom is in your classroom. They can see everything in the classroom. They can hear and see everything that's happening, and the kids that are in the physical classroom can see the kids that are at home on the monitor. And so the the teacher can teach in class, and this kid at home can participate just like the kid in the class. And if the teacher shares content to the screen for the classroom, the kids at home see it. If she writes on the board, you know, she writes on the monitor for the kids in the class to see it, the kids at home see it. And so that was a huge... Uh, those are like four grand per classroom. And this so, was I mean, a specific was, uh,
1: response to COVID or is this yes. something you had before? No. Uh, okay. So, so we've used Zoom
2: for years and we have we have we have embedded technology at the tables. Um so we do we do collaboration around technology like um um, four kids at a table with technology, but this is classroom technology that we bought specifically for um, in response to COVID. To, they call it synchronous learning. It's this idea that um, kids at home and kids in the class are learning together at the same time. Reduces the workload on teachers because you're not having to teach kids in class and then create some asynchronous online program for kids that are home. So this way, like if you're sick or you have symptoms or you're, you just have to quarantine for observation, like you can still be a part of what we're doing at school. That's um, awesome. Yeah.
1: Do, do the kids have, like, is that a distraction at all? Like, having, you know, the people in class and then it shifts to to people on TV? Like, is that. I don't know.
2: Ask me in a couple of weeks. Yeah. I Honestly, I feel like
1: the masks are.
0: So, I mean, we're. So, my kids are in the public school system yep. and they're, you know, I don't even know. There's so many different options, but they're doing some sort of digital, virtual option. Mm-hmm. Um, and. And so, like, I, you know, my wife and I really made it because the, they were talking about, like, okay, if the kids go to class and they're wearing, they got to wear the mask, they're, like all these procedural things. I'm just thinking, like, dude, like, I, I know my kid. Like, my, the, I think the masks are going to be what's interesting about being in session yeah. because I think, like, I just know my kids are going to be playing. They're going to be, mm-hmm. but it's going to be the biggest distraction to be playing with their mask and yeah. moving it around. And, like, you know, I actually feel for the teachers who are going to have to, like, Okay, honey, like don't play with your mask. Yeah. You know, like leave it alone. Or you know, the, those are the things that I kind of worry about as yeah. a as a parent. How much of a distraction is it for them in actually learning something? Yeah, um,
2: yeah. I think that's I think that's very realistic, and and we know going in that there's going to be a lot of that. But you know what we what we believe is that even intermittent mask wearing is better than no masking wearing at all. And the sure. biggest reason that we're wearing the r- biggest reason that we want everybody that we decided everybody needs to wear masks, not just staff, is because. If if someone is positive, if somebody tests positive and everybody in the in the classroom is wearing a mask, only the person that tests positive would have to quarantine, right? If you don't wear a mask, then everybody in the room has to quarantine, right? So it's the difference between shutting down a classroom or a grade level or a whole building versus one person goes home. Um, and so that's, that's what masks do. Um, now we had, our, our preschool was open this summer. We had a summer camp program open. So uh, we've already walked through the scenario once. So we had a, in our preschool, we had a staff member test positive for COVID. Her mom was sick and infectious and she got it from her mom because she lives with her mom. She, um, so as soon as she finds out she's, her mom is positive. She, she tells us she leaves work, she goes, gets tested. She tests positive. Um, but because this summer our staff wore masks, even though her kids didn't because they were like two-year, two and three-year-olds. They didn't wear masks. Uh, but because she wore a mask and all her colleagues in that building wore a mask, um, it's been over six weeks and we haven't had another single case of COVID in the building. So she didn't pass it to any of her cl- uh, colleagues, and none of the none of the students in her class became infected. At least, you know, nobody that, t- to our knowledge. So, um, so that was really evidence to us, like, okay, like masks. Can can make a difference, um, and so even if it's intermittent, we figure kids will get better. They'll get used to it. It'll become part of the norm, and then it just becomes you know, like every other little gadget that kids have. They just fiddle with it, and then you just kind of say hey. And so, so we'll see. But yeah, fashion no, nobody Are really Are you guys knows. having like regulations when it comes to like? No, no like, I was like, "Hey, your gator like, mask, bring yeah. them in. Like, Let's I was go. like Hey, it's like it's like your backpack and your lunchbox, man. Pick something that reflects your personality cool. and your interests. Like, the last thing we want is 400 of the same masks laying around. And like, this yeah. is that one? Whose oh, black sure. one is that one? Right? Oh yeah. And the little surgical ones that break all the time. I was like, yeah, that's, I think that's not modern, gonna work. So they're wearing <laughs> other people's masks. I don't know. So yeah, that's we're like, like yeah, man. Mask, so like whatever, whatever you love, man. Find a mask and or the the buffs, you know, that kind of pull up. or Like that's a great way for younger kids to do it because it just stays around your neck whenever you're not wearing it, it doesn't get lost so you talked
1: about people having the struggle of getting on the same page when you had the town hall and, and say like hey parents we're gonna require the kids to wear masks did you have any kickback on that from them saying
2: ah like not pub- not publicly, because um, we did a and a and we got a lot of questions. Um, we sent our we sent our plan out as a document um, the day of, so people had a chance to read it and sort of digest it before we had the town hall. And then we just kind of walked people through the details, took Q&A. The mask thing, um, you know, there were a few people that were like, ah, what's, they don't do anything, but we didn't really hear from them. Actually, the biggest pushback we got from parents is like, um, like, what are you going to do? Like, we want to know the specific scenario for what you're going to do for uh, if there's a COVID positive case. Like, it mm-hmm. wasn't enough for us to say, hey, we have a medical advisory team. We've got some algorithms. Like, we've got some procedures in place. All the people were like, that's not good enough. Like, I, like, what are the procedures? Like, what exactly are you going to do? And so, you know, I've had some email exchanges to sort of walk parents through some of those details. But... But we, we can't publish it because the CDC changes their guidelines all the time. And what's true today <laughs> might not be true when school starts on August 12th. And so, you know, our medical team is like, it needs to be, it really needs to be an internal document that's very fluid. And so we're trying to reassure people, like, these are the basic elements that are in play. And there's a level of trust that you're going to have to have because I can't. I can't give you every single scenario because literally, like, there's just pages of pages of them.
0: In that document, you guys have the thermostat. Are you guys, are you guys doing the temperature testing? We like, do. Yeah,
2: yeah. 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 So we just do. We have the little touchless ones. You just stick your wrist in this little ring, and it takes your temperature in like half a second. Wait, what? <laughs> you know, I don't have this one. I want one of these. Yeah, it's just really cool. It's just like stand, and it's got a little ring. And when you walk up to it, it talks to you. It's like, please enter, your, please insert your wrist, and like you just stick it in. It goes bloop, and it's like it's like your temperature is normal. Bing, and the light turns green. And no it way. Says, you know. Welcome, and if oh you try gosh, to we
0: need that here. If
2: you try to walk past it, it's like please stop and come back and and get your temperature taken. Yeah, um, so we have those at all the different entrances, and we use different entrances for different grade levels as kind of our way of sort of keeping cohorts uh, together in small groups. So, so that's our goal, our our goal really is, our goal is to try to is to stay open five days a week all year long, right? And and it's not that we're trying to be dangerous or reckless or you know, or ignore what anybody else is doing. It's just that as a private school, I can't compete in the virtual market. Like we, we had a great program in April and May, but like a, a virtual online program for our school is not distinctive enough that you're gonna pay a price premium for what you can get for free from a hundred other sources, right? And so for us, the best way we can capture the most um, sort of tuition dollars from our families is to offer an on-campus program.
0: Do you guys look at that as like a vulnerability of something that you're gonna have to figure out at some point? I mean, the world is very going super digital, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, are there you guys having those conversations? What does that look like?
2: Yeah, we have. Um, I mean, we debated um, about offering an online option, um, but, um, you know, when we did a poll. There, there, there weren't enough people to. It's not something that we can we can we can't afford to make an investment in something that's not going to make money right away, right. right? And so, the startup cost to sort of creating a really quality online program is bigger than what we could expect to capture um, in the short term. And so, because of the other financial vulnerabilities and the unknowns of COVID and, and the added expenses of you know being COVID ready, we just. That's not a, that wasn't a route that we could go. Um, one of the reasons that we invested in this technology for synchronous learning is because we could see a point where we could open up our, our school and say, hey, if you want to do online only through this synchronous learning where your kid can like join class at, that's happening live, uh, we might make that available as an option to people who want to do online only at a reduced rate. but. But so much of so much of what so much of what makes our school unique, or, or the value behind our school, is it's the sense of community, it's a sense right. of belonging, and so it's. We worked really hard in April and May to create that in a virtual context, and I think we did a really good job. I, I jokingly told people that I, I felt like the cruise director of, the, <laughs> uh, of our school because, like, I was on Facebook all the time, like, "Hey, <laughs> it's Wednesday night game night! Everybody, get on board for trivia!" And then, like, then I like quick, you know, then I'd change clothes and I'd be like, "All right, we're doing a dance party for the teens. and you know, and, like, we were doing all these sort of online, virtual kinds of things to help people stay connected to our school. Um, but I don't think. And, and I think people were very gracious and people appreciated it but uh, it's I don't think that people want that in the long term I think people want really authentic uh, community that's uh, you know face to face so
0: yeah I mean you kind of get the similarities uh, uh, in business yeah. there's a lot of there's been a lot of talk about okay is remote life gonna stick right like so many people are working remote working from home. Like, is that is that going to stick? Is that going to be a long term? Is like, are people just going to shut down their offices and have everybody working from home now? You know, like a lot of these conversations, um, and and I like I look at it long term. I don't think I don't think it will. Uh, I think there's a human natural craving for social interaction, and and even like within a very short time period online, like Zoom, like Zoom people people are zoomed out zoomed out man i am <laughs> like people zoomed like zoomed out. out like you're like tired of being on these like zoom go, like that's a it's a real thing right yeah. it's only been a handful of months like is that sustainable for years and having right. an entire op- companies operating that way i mean for me personally i like i'm like no now now we have also seen the uh, the benefits of remote life having more time with family more family dinners a lot of the things there's been a lot of benefits from it as well Um, There's been a lot of
1: companies that have reported greater productivity from remote life. Oh, for sure. And and, and that's always an interesting thing is like, is that because the novelty of it or or is it sustainable is the question. But there are people that have been anti-remote from the beginning, scholars and stuff like that, and then they got into the data and were like, Oh, this but is I just, actually working.
2: I, I wonder about that though. Will product would productivity continue when life resumes and people have choices? Right. It's one thing mm-hmm. to be productive when you're like stuck when at home it, in a lockdown. Are yeah, right? it's Another point. thing like when Good I can point. I can go to sporting events, I can go to movies, I can do all these other things. Like you know, then are you still going to be equally as productive? You know, I don't know. I, I tend to think that um, as much as people say like, oh, this is so disruptive. education's never going to be the same. I'm like, eh. I think in three years, like pretty much everything's going to fall back to the middle, and people are going to be back to doing. School pretty much the way they were before the pandemic. I, yeah. I don't think that this is some radical shift that people will mark in history as the day education changed forever. I just don't think so. I think that people are just creatures of habit, and they will people will eventually clamor back to what what they used to have.
0: It's gonna be super interesting to find out. <laughs> that is. That is. <laughs> you know, like three years from now, I'm gonna like revisit this episode and be like, man, like, can you believe, you remember all that? No, that like, was crazy. Oh man, this has been fun. This has yeah. been a lot of fun. Like, thanks for coming on and sharing Absolutely. all that with us. So that, was, that was great. Uh, I mean, for our listening audience who's interested in you know a private education with the Rock School, like how can they reach out to you guys? Like, what's the what's the best route there?
2: Yeah, you can go on our website. It's therocklions.com, dot uh, com, or you can uh, give us a call if you're here local in Gainesville. Uh, we'd love to have you come by and uh, take a look at what we're doing and and uh, and check us out.
0: Cool. And if any of those students need masks, I know somebody who makes great masks. (laughs) Sarah on our team makes some incredible masks. If you need masks, reach out to Sarah Lentz. She will get you all taken care of. Got my gator mask back here.
1: Sweet. <laughs>
0: so, uh, awesome. Thanks again for coming on. Any last words, Mike? Yeah,
1: wraps us up. Yeah, educators don't get enough love. No. Um, and, and I think one of the hopes of going through COVID is that it, it starts to put a little bit more of an appreciation on them. Absolutely. Um, so just just mad love to to all the educators out there. Um, you know, it's one of those thankless jobs that we absolutely need that are super crucial. So if, if you're in the education field, thank you. You don't get enough thanks. Um, and we appreciate you.
0: Have a great start to your semester, everybody. We absolutely love you. Thank you so much for listening. This is the WHOA GNV Podcast, the podcast bringing you businesses and individuals that make you go, whoa. whoa. We will see you later. Bye. Have a great day. Great first day of school, everybody. Okay. See ya. <laughs> Happy birthday, Maddie and Schaefer. Happy birthday, Maddie and Schaefer. Bye.